You guys can have a seat. How you doing tonight? Awesome. Wonderful. You're welcome, Jamie. It's great to see all of you. Get out your bibliotheque us and uh, let's get going tonight. Is that I screw that up about once a year. Is that Bible or not? That's library. Get out your libraries and we're going to go to it tonight. A uh, little rusty on my Spanish. Um, last week, we honed in on the tension between people and Jews specifically that were waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And when it came in the person and work of Jesus, there was a little bit of confusion. Because you see, Jesus was spending time with the widows. And he was spending time feeding the hungry. And he was spending time with the outcasts and the downtrodden. And so there began to be some tension that was created in people that were awaiting this king to come down from heaven and to completely change the government. And then they saw the one who was claiming to be the Messiah hang out with people that they never would. And Jesus said that my kingdom is like a little yeast that will work its way through the entire batch of flour. Don't miss it because my kingdom is here and my kingdom is now. And so last week we left with the encouragement that the mission statement of this church is loving him and loving his. And we don't think it's insignificant obedience to hang with the widows and the orphans and the downtrodden friends. In fact, we feel that we've been called to this particular community to do our duty and obedience to Jesus to love the unlovable friends to take those who culture has pushed away and said we want to reveal to you the love of uh, the love of Christ not because we're awesome but because he first loved us amen so open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 we're going to be taking this next piece of scripture tonight which uh, gets into some hefty stuff so Luke chapter 13 verses 22 give me a little on there whenever you're there all right hope you're excited really really a cool uh, scripture tonight Hopefully your heart's beating a little bit fast already. You have a little passion. You're a little bit worked up. You had a great dinner, all right? But now you're ready to feast. You see what I'm saying? Verse 22 says this. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to where? To Jerusalem. Now, we've talked about before that when Jesus leaves northern Israel, when he leaves the Sea of Galilee and he begins to head south toward Jerusalem, that he's very focused on heading there. Why? Because that is where he's going to die. That is where he's going to go on a cross. That's where he's going to raise, uh, be raised from the dead. And so everything is pointed towards Jerusalem. Now, this is one of the only mentions in Luke that we see the actual verbiage as he works his way through towns and villages headed to Jerusalem. But be encouraged again tonight that we see Jesus completely on mission, completely focused on why he came and what he was here to do. And I think it's interesting that Luke records this word teaching as he works his way through towns and villages. Could you imagine being a, a, a member of a little village and you hear that this great teacher and this great prophet and even one claiming to be the son of God is coming to your village. Could you imagine the hoopla that was created, right? I mean, I mean we're, talking, we're talking all kinds of hoopla and energy around this and I love that Luke says teaching. Why do I love it? Because you and I both know that he was healing, right? I mean, you and I both know that when he was in the villages, that he was having conversations with individual people. You and I both know, friends, that he was loving the widow and, and, and the orphans. And so Luke, listen, Luke sums all of it up with what? With teaching. That everything that Jesus was doing on this earth 
was teaching people about who he was as the Messiah, as the savior of the universe and teaching people what it looked like to live after him. So healings were teachings, interactions and conversations when Jesus was listening to the unlovable. That was teaching too. the moments when he uh, left the crowd to pray on the hillside. Guess what? Uh, He was teaching then, too. He was teaching at all times what it meant to be, uh, what it was to be him and what it was to follow him. So why don't we see things that way for you and I, huh? This entire church, friends, is built upon the premise that all we desire, all we want to do is to better learn who Jesus Christ is and to better learn how to follow him. Um, so, so second Saturday is, is there to teach. I know some of you guys haven't been there before and, and maybe some of you haven't felt called or whatever reason. I just want to open it up to you and let you know that, that there's moments of teaching there. That when we go, we're learning who Jesus is and what it means to follow after him. These moments right here corporately are moments of teaching. There's a lot of other things that are happening. We're building relationships. We're seeing community be built. If you haven't gotten plugged in yet to a lot family on Sundays, guess what that is? That's right. That's teaching. We're learning what it means to be in community, to follow after Jesus. And some friends, my question for you as we begin tonight, are you taking advantage of the opportunities that we've created and that God's blessed us with in this church community to learn, to learn? God expose me to all of it because I want to learn. I want to go to a community love event and I want to learn what it looks like uh, to love in, in situations that are uncomfortable for me where the community is just coming in. And my only mission is to create conversations so that people can really sense a genuine love. God, teach me that because I want to learn what it looks like to be more like you. Do you guys get this? I love this, that Luke says the only of the word teaching. We know he's doing all kinds of other things. So friends, how are you doing at learning? Huh? You feel like as you came in this room right now, that you're in a season of learning. That everywhere you go, he's teaching you more about who he is and more what it looks like to follow after him. Or friends, to be honest, you feel like you're kind of flunking out right now, huh? Like, you know what? If I were to be honest, like I haven't learned anything in forever. My question is why? Because it's all around, amen? The moments to learn and to grow are literally saturated even in this church community and body, friends. And we come here and we gather to be encouraged, to be sent out, like Jason was talking about earlier in worship, so that when we're sitting alone in our bedroom, guess what we're doing? That's right, learning. That when we're with our wife or our college student friends or our students or or our sons or our daughters, guess what we're doing then too? Yeah, that's right, we're learning. As a family, as friends, as a community, we're learning what it looks like to worship Him and who He is and go after the cross of Christ amidst all of this. Jesus says, uh, someone stands up and asks him a question. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And so Luke records kind of this this very intentional moment here as he's working his way through villages and towns. All of a sudden, someone raises his hand. Lord, so are only few going to be saved? Like, let's have a little moment of truth here, Lord. Because there's a few here. Like, what's how many really are going to be saved? Which was a popular question of the day. In fact, rabbis and philosophizers awesome ga- all the time gathered and they asked themselves this question, like how many are really, really going to be saved? Now, Jesus, as he often does, friends, look at how he responds. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter 
and will not be able to. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, would try to enter and will not be able to. Um, like he, he says, your question was, was really good, but I'm not going to answer that at all. In fact, the question is not how many are going to be saved. The question is, are you saved? He like takes the question and he puts it right on them, those who are asking. The question isn't how many. The question is, are you? And so all night long, friends, that's what we're going to be working with. Not how many are going to be saved, not are all of us in this body going to be saved, but are you? Where is your heart? Where is your relationship and walk with Jesus? Now, I think it's amazing that the word here, many will strive to enter the word. Some of your translations, the literal Greek here is agonized. Now, I know that oftentimes when you guys think of agonized, you're like, okay, that's really a wretched word. You know what I mean? But agonized here is, is that if there is a narrow door, then, then to agonize after getting in that narrow door that, that Christ has painted as this eternal picture is literally agonizing because it is difficult. It's not the easiest to deny your flesh, is it? Huh? Right? Anybody, anybody have it mastered, right? Because you need to be up here. You know what I'm saying? Just tell us how to do it, right? It's, it's hard. I really, really struggle with teachings that Jesus is easy. Why? Because over and over in Scripture, I, I, I see Him call us to daily die. And I see Him when He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Until you do that, you have no part of me. I don't read that and think, that's, it. that's an easy Jesus. Like, let's just go after Him, you know? What I think is, is it's hard and it's worth it. But I fear, friends, that in you and I's culture, that, that we think of it um, in terms of a funnel. Yeah, have, have you guys ever seen one of these before? I say funnel, and some of you guys instantly are like, cake. I like cake, you know, you're thinking of funnel cake, you know, yeah. And, and actually, to be honest with you, like, that's what I would be thinking, right? So this is a funnel. And, and I fear that when we read a scripture, like the narrow way and the narrow door, we struggle with it because I think we think that the, that the Christian life and the Christian world and to follow after Christ is like a funnel. That we're kind of just like hanging around the circumference here and that this big funnel just kind of collects a whole bunch of people. And as long as we've been collected in kind of this big circumference of the funnel, eventually, at the right time, it narrows. And as long as we were in this big, like, this big, huge funnel system of Christian life, kind of living it, kind of not, really not that interested in, in what he has to say, except certain times when it was important... And then all of a sudden our belief is that it will funnel down. And when it funnels down, that narrow door that Jesus is talking about will open and we will funnel through. Um, have you ever seen one of those uh, things in the mall where you put your coin in and it like goes? Yeah. Aren't you mesmerized by that? Like I've literally probably wasted $50 in those. You know what I mean? I'm like Jojo the Idiot Circus Boy around this. I'm just like, this is amazing. You know, look at this. Like the coin goes around and it never, it's amazing, right? And, and I fear that I fear that that's exactly where we're at. Just kind of going around the circumference, believing deeply that sometime, somewhere at the right time, it will just narrow and collect all of us that that spoke the word Jesus or all of us that united in a church body or all of us that were a part of a small group. The problem with that way of thinking is Matthew chapter seven, verse 13. Put this up for me, Andrew, which says this, which says this enter through the narrow gates for wide is the gate 
And broad is the road that leads to what? To destruction. And many enter through it, right? Look. Look, wide is the gate. And broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, friends, will enter through it. Many, many. Verse 14 says this. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a what? Only a few find it. Matthew takes this idea of the door and uses the word gate. And this doesn't work at all scripturally because Matthew says it's not just a narrow gate, but it's a what? It's a narrow road. It's not just a narrow door that all of a sudden, as long as you've been in the right place at the right time, you funnel through. It's a narrow path. Have any of you guys uh, ever been in the woods? Any of you guys? Really? Three of us. Okay. Uh, just to explain then, a lot of trees there. Um, a lot of brush. Okay. Uh, back, my, my grandfather uh, owned this farm out, out in the wilderness. It really was in the wilderness. I just wanted to sound farmy there. Uh, he, he, owned this, he owned this place out in the woods. And my cousin and I, uh, we would go out at night and, um, and we would drive four-wheelers. Not a good idea, okay? Especially when the lights on the four-wheelers don't work, okay? Not a good idea, right? But, but, but what would happen was, is my cousin would, would carve out these like really, really narrow paths for our four-wheelers to get through the, the woods, you know what I mean? And you, you could barely see. All you had to keep your eye on was like a foot in front of you, because that's all you could see. And as long as you kept your, kept your face on this path, like you would never hit anything. Well, I mean, I can't tell you the number of trees that I hit head on, you know? There were times I was flying over the four-wheeler. It's a miracle that I'm here today, which is just a showing of God's grace. But there's this sense when you're in the woods of almost like, like claustrophobia, Like it's so narrow and it's so closed that if I just steer a little bit left or a little bit right, um, destruction. Why don't we view our walk with Christ like that, friends? Uh, um, Miles, can you help me out with the whiteboard here, bro? I'd walk over there, but my just if you can kind of bring it over here for me. I want to kind of help illustrate this in in another way that will just kind of help us there. Give it up for Miles Allen, please. Yes. Yeah, that's not going to be good there. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, Miles. You know I like whiteboards? Right away, marker. Let's do it. Okay. Now, to, to help better explain this kind of... Can you guys see it over here? Good. Good. You're nodding. I don't, can't tell which way. Matthew describes it as this, as this narrow door that has this very narrow path. Okay? This is a doorknob. Okay? Just so we're not confused. Now, to take the funnel concept... And put it in terms that Matthew talks about. We're living like this is the way after Jesus. That we can kind of veer off the path to the left and to the right. And, and, and here's what's happening. We're gathering these momentary times when we're on the path. And we think that those momentary times add up to something. Let me illustrate with my body. All right, It's like we're walking along the path, you know. And just for a moment, we get excited about the Word of God. Just for a moment, we're gathered around the right people at the right conference at the right time. And for a moment, we turn towards the prize and have one of these momentary glimpses of what the gospel is. And then, right back in the flesh, and we're just on our way. And we continue to journey on. And then, for whatever reason, we decide to repent and to turn back. And then we we get in that path for a moment again, turn towards the prize, and have a momentary glimpse of the narrow path. And what it does 
is it creates a false sense of security. What these moments do is create a false sense that somehow I'm able by these momentary glimpses of the narrow path that somehow it's going to add up to something so that when I stand before Jesus, I'm going to be able to say, hey, Jesus, don't you remember all those times momentarily I was on the narrow path? Don't you remember? Like, 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 doesn't that add up to something to you, Jesus? And friends, over and over and over in scriptures, he says, you're here or you're here. You're with me or against me. Do you guys see that? You're either with me or you are against me. You can never serve two masters. You see, friends, when we get consumed with Christ so much that the path is the only way, then like we've talked about before, we're able to stop coming here and self-improving so much. And we're able to start talking about how we're going to spread the message of Jesus to the lost. Because we, we, we can stop talking about this area when it comes to Christianity. We can start talking, to, talking about those who don't know Jesus who are out here. Who need an overextension of love. An overextension of grace. But for you and I, it's the word is living and active, isn't it? And together we're saying, yes, it is. And so together we're able to say, you know what? We better start learning and living how to better show people and show the world the love of Jesus Christ. Very practically, my friends. What road are you on, huh? Do you feel like your journey is just all over the place? Friends, you feel lost tonight. Like you got no direction. Like you're just kind of zigzagging through this world. I want to encourage you with something. The encouragement is that the cross of Christ has grace for you and I. But friends, outside of that narrow path, there's destruction. Can you guys grasp that with me tonight? Now, Jesus goes on to explain this more and more. Verse 26. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir... What's the, what's the word there? Open the door for us. So listen to this. We're in a period right now of grace. And they were, as Jesus is teaching, in a period of grace. We've talked about before two waiting room periods. One waiting room period is waiting for the Messiah to come. The second waiting room period is waiting for the Messiah to come back. Amen. So we're in the second waiting room period and the period of grace is still open. God is still allowing grace to come into this world. He's still pouring out. But friends, this image is that one day the master will stand up from his seat and shut the door. And the period of grace will be over. You guys with me? And the people, listen, will plead, let us in. It's like the husband who doesn't love his wife, who isn't emotionally and physically and even sexually engaged with his wife, that one day his wife goes and has even an emotional affair with another guy and comes back and the husband somehow finds out. And the husband all of a sudden breaks. All of a sudden what he's taken for granted is taken from him. And when what he's taken for granted is taken from him, all of a sudden, what happens? His eyes open to the reality of the situation. Hold on a second. Like, I, I love you. I want you. And I'm by no means condoning affairs for any reason, my friends. But that is a real scenario, my friends. 
And, and Jesus, just in this example, it's like, hey, hey, what you've taken for granted, and even though you've now opened your eyes, it's too late. The door's shut. It, it's like the athlete. Um, many of you guys will relate to this. Ooh, and I had, I had a couple of these guys who thought that, they're, that, they're, um, that they were just, you know, amazing. You guys ever had any arrogant athletes, you know, around you at, all, uh, at any point in time? And they would practice like, like they hadn't, like they really didn't even care, you know? They're not running the sprints hard. They're not going hard. Uh, they're, they're just cruise control because they know the coach would never sit them on the bench. Then what happens? This happened in over and over in my high school career. Then one day the coach would finally get fed up with it and it would be like, you, I think you're not, you think you're number one? Go to the end of the bench and little Joe Blow is going to come up and start for you. You know what I'm saying? And then what happens? Then the next practice, that same guy who was arrogant McGee, like starts going crazy in the sprints, starts really meaning his potential. The whole premise of the teaching is, look, you need to be humbled before you can really come back. But the reality is, friends, the period of humbling is now. You see that? Friends, how many of you are just completely taking this path, the narrow path for granted? You've succumbed so much to what America says Christianity is. And you've taken the path of grace for granted completely. You've taken Jesus for granted. Imagine, friends, what our lives would look like if we never took the cross of Christ for granted ever. Imagine that. Can you imagine that? Imagine if every night that we gathered, no one in here was taking anything for granted. We're like, this could be our last night together worshiping ever. Could you imagine what that would look like? Of course you can and I could too. So what's the problem? Why are we still taking this narrow path and narrow direction for granted, thinking that we still have time? Jesus says there will be a day when the period of grace will be over. The master will stand up and shut the door. And friends, this unfortunately just continues to hit home for us. But he will answer in the middle of verse 20, uh, 25. I don't know you or, when you, or, or where you come from. Verse 26. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you. And you taught in our streets. Now this is hilarious to me, okay? This, this, is, like, um, this is like us meeting a celebrity. And what, I'm, what I mean by meeting is like shaking their hand one time. And then calling them by their first name, you know? It's like all of a sudden you're talking, you're like, yeah, yeah, I met Michael the other day. Like, Michael? Michael who? Well, Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like just because I should, oh yeah, me and Michael, like we go way back. You know, he didn't even say hi to me, you know? Like, I touched his flesh, you know? Yeah, Michael and I, we were talking about the good old days. It was amazing. You know, how many times have you ever done that? Why, you, you've met some celebrity, you know? Yeah, me and Mel, uh, we're just... We're just really good friends, you know, Mel Gibson, by the way, for those of you guys who are like, Mel, like who's Mel, right? Yeah. Jesus is saying, like, there's going to be people who will base their argument. This is hilarious. on being an acquaintance with Jesus. Couldn't they come up with a better argument? But many are doing this. Hold on, Jesus. Didn't we eat and drink with you? Like we were right there in the same room. Don't you remember that? Like, Jesus, seriously, you know, I don't think you understand. I was sitting in the same room that you were. And, and not just that, but I was in the street. That's right. In the street, Jesus, where you were teaching. Their arguments are based upon the premise of being an acquaintance with Jesus. Thinking that somehow 
because they have been acquainted with him, that that's going to grant them some kind of merit in the eyes of Jesus. And you and I both know what an acquaintance looks like, because we have many of them, don't we? We see the same people in the same hallway at the same time every single day, and we say the exact same thing. Hey, how you doing? Good, good, good. Good to see you. And we're on our way. We know their face. We even may know their middle name. But either way, it's like the same interaction every single day. Hey, good to see you. How you doing? Good, good, good. Great, great, great. It's awesome. Great to see you. You look nice. I like those new shoes. And we're on our way. It's the same conversation every day. How many, how many do you have those uh, at work or on the college campus, right? It's like you see the same people at the same time because you're coming from the same classes. And every day, uh, you know what acquaintances. And friends, you also know what an intimate relationship is, don't you? You know what it looks like to have a friend who just gets you. What it, what it means to have a friend that just loves you unconditionally and deals with your junk. Can we agree that even in the human sense, an acquaintance and an intimate relationship are drastically different? Thinking that an acquaintance with Jesus will get you something is to divorce obedience from the path of Christ. Put up first John chapter two. Some of you guys over here may not be able to see this. A second John chapter one says this. And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. And you have heard from the beginning. His command is that you walk in love. John 14, six says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Friends, to think and to argue that being an acquaintance with Jesus is going to win you some merit is to divorce obedience and relationship from Jesus. And to think that just because you, you were in the same room with some Christians or, or, or just because you, you sang this one particular song on this particular day that Jesus is going to be like, yeah, 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 you, you've been living the narrow path. Come on in. No. Jesus says this to those people. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from, away from me, all you evildoers. The better Greek there is you unrighteous friends of mine tonight. Come on. How many of you legitimately are a complete acquaintance with Jesus here tonight? Just like you're passing by every day. You know the right words to say because you've learned. But the intimate connection with him is not there. So some of you right now, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, Mark. Good, good, good. I'm glad you're, t- I'm glad you're talking about this tonight because I have been, man. My relationship with, 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 with Christ has been struggling. So, Mark, tell me what to do to be intimate with Jesus. And here's what you want me to say. Okay, everybody, here's what you need to do. You need to open your Bible in the mornings and read 18.6 minutes. If you don't read 18.6 minutes, you're a sinner destined to hell, all right? And not just that, but you need to read that exact same amount at night. But beyond that, you also need to have this fervorous prayer life where you're praying literally on your knees for at least 13 minutes. And amidst all that, you need to be involved with three Bible studies. You need to make sure you have an accountability partner. You need to make sure that you can go to church. You're part of a small group. And all of these things, my friends, will make you intimate with Christ. That's what you want. Because you want to be able to attach yourself to some practicality. You want to be able to leave here and say, oh yeah, yeah. So here, here's, here's all I need to do. A plus B equals Yahtzee. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I just said that because it rhymed. I apologize about that. That somehow if, if we give each other the right equation, then we'll all walk out of here more intimately connected with Christ. A couple weeks ago, we quoted Romans 5, chapter 8. That says, when we were yet, what? 
sinners, Christ died for who? For us. It's that passage that culminates the passion and excitement of the gospel of which we get to be a part of. And so, friends, I have no practicality for you tonight. I have no equation for not being in acquaintance with Jesus. All I have to say is, when your heart truly yearns and truly gets the fact that while you were nasty, depleted, desperate, desolate, knowing all of that, he still went for a cross, friends, then is it quite possible that you and I would stop taking the cross of Christ for granted? So much so that this impassioned, this zeal for him would rise and it would lead to discipline, but not the other way around. Many of us are trying to create disciplined lives and then think that somehow that will lead to intimacy with Jesus. Friends, discipline will never occur successfully until it is founded in a deep, passionate love of Christ. You guys understand that? You with me? So friends, if you're here and you're like, you know what, I'm a complete acquaintance, passerby. Jesus and I have the exact same conversation. I say the same prayer every single day. I'm just in the routine doing the deal. Friends, can you get consumed tonight with the fact that while you were desperate and desolate, knowing every single one of your sins, he went to a cross, knowing full well what he was doing. And when that happens, then you and I will start coming together and saying, you know what? I read two hours in the word of God because I want to know him more because in an intimate relationship, you just desire to know his promises and to know who he is. And I couldn't get enough. Two hours wasn't enough. And I'm not even putting time on it. I, my clock, I couldn't even see it. That's just how much I yearned for it. When we start having those conversations. Yeah, yeah. The other night I gathered some friends. We started praying before we knew it. It was three in the morning and we started at three in the afternoon. We didn't even like we didn't even know 12 hours went by. Oh, Mark, that seems radical. Mark, that seems like how can we ever get to that point? You know how? When we stop taking Jesus for granted. And start really believing that his teachings mean something. You, are you guys with me? Like when that happens, they go hand in hand, my friends. Now, Jesus kind of helps bring this point in when he says in verse 28. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets and the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown out. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, that sounds great, you know. Could you imagine being there and listen to that? Matthew uses that example four times to show the horror of eternal judgment and separation from him. Whoa, 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 Mark, hellfire and brimstone, here it comes. You know what? We only preach hellfire and brimstone when Jesus does. Weeping and gnashing of teeth shows us a tangible, physical way of understanding the horror of eternal judgment and separation from him. And then he says this, then he says that when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself thrown out. Now, listen, if he's speaking to a primarily Jewish audience, do you guys understand the significance of this? He's saying that you've been thinking that you're going to see your great ancestors who birthed the Israel nation, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But you yourself are never going to be connected with them. You're going to be separated from even these great prophets that you've been waiting to see that your whole faith has almost been based on. And he doesn't continue to draw the dagger in verse 29. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast, which we talked about last week, the great banquet when the bride and the bridegroom will be reunited in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus says, listen to this, not just are you not going to be connected with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, 
But the Gentiles are going to be getting in to the kingdom of God. People coming from the north and the south and the east and the west. You as Jews are going to be thrown out. Unless you stop taking me for granted as the Messiah. And the Gentiles who you despise their religion and despise their hearts are going to be getting in. Because they have a faith and belief in me and they're not taking this narrow path for granted. Can you imagine being a Jew and hearing this, friends? I mean, this is, this is the epitome of wake up now because the, the period of grace will end very soon. And he closes all of this in verse 30. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. The prostitutes. They accept me. Despite you seeing them as a cultural outcast, guess what? They'll be in. The orphans and the widows who can barely take care of themselves, who you see as a damper to your society, guess what? With faith in me through the grace of my cross, they'll they'll be in the kingdom of God. And all of you Pharisees and religious minded individuals who have placed your arrogance in yourself thinking that somehow it will all just funnel into a narrow door, you will be last. Friends, very poignant question for you and I tonight. Just simply, where is your relationship with Jesus? He's the only way. He's it. He's all we got. No momentary period in the narrow way or the narrow path following some morality that's been set by culture will achieve or gain you anything. Only a relationship with Christ who says, follow me on a narrow path that culture, listen, will not understand. They will ridicule you. They will come down on you because they're living out here apart from the path saying we're having so much fun. Friends, do you see this way and this path as worth it? Do you see the call to leave your acquaintance, understanding-minded relationship of Jesus and move to I desire to be intimately connected with you, friends? When that happens, we will see the results in this church. A campus will be ignited, friends. Workplaces all around our church community will be ignited because all you'll be able to talk about is what He's done for you, period. Your heart will beat fast and the word will beat true in your soul. Friends, for those of you that are unacquaintance of him tonight. Repent. Repent and turn back. What, what other motivation do you need? Do you want me to like throw my marker or something? What, what else do you need? We're going to take some time tonight. And here in a moment, I'm just, we're just going to put some scripture on, on the screen. And I'm just going to let the scripture, friends, at the end of tonight, just speak for itself. He's calling us to intimacy. He's calling us to follow a narrow path. And anything less than that, friends, is destruction and eternal separation from him. So how will you respond? Those of you who don't know him tonight, know him 
He's inviting you to receive His grace because the door hasn't been shut yet for you. Of the, for those of you that are in here who are acquaintances, it's time to repent and go after Him fully. For those of you in here that are kind of iffy, iffy, sometimes you're on, sometimes you're off, it's time to get off the fence. And for those of you that are intimately connected with Jesus, it's time you lead us. Amen? It's time you rise up and begin to lead and encourage us so that we can stop coddling one another as a church and start going fully after the cross of Christ. Let's take some moments here tonight and respond to the scriptures on the screen.